Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a podcast hosted by Denise and Keisha, two friends who share intimate conversations about alcohol and drug use, struggling with sobriety, and our personal paths to wellness. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm starting to crash a little bit, I think, right now. Um, for those of you that don't know, Keisha obviously is aware I'm coming out the other end of having COVID. So day by day, I'm getting just a little bit better. It's been a long road. <laughs> a <laughs> long and treacherous. It's been like a long solo experience. Like It really starts to get to you um, after having to stay inside and like isolated for for a while. Yeah, you were inside for five to seven days, I feel like, all by yourself. I guess like the isolation period is the five days, but then even though you start to try to do things on, or at least for me, on the sixth or seventh day, like I still didn't have the energy, which was like frustrating because I wanted to get things done. And then I would do like two activities and be completely (laughs) gassed. Yeah. So. And I had to take on the Dr. Denise role and tell you to stay (laughs) home in bed and rest and listen to what your body's telling you. (laughs) Yeah, Keisha was really giving out a lot of prescribed medical advice on, you know, what would be good life choices for me to heal so that I could be here today with everyone and recording an episode. So I would like to report I've taken about 80% of the advice she gave me. I, you know, did eat some sugar and had some pizza along the way. So which usually that's my advice. (laughs) I know the tables have really reversed. Uh, Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. It is a pleasure to have you here in my kitchen. I know, me too. Good stuff. So welcome back to another episode of Done With Debauchery. I'm Keisha, and this is my co-host, Denise. (laughs) Hello. Today, we are... We're talking about a topic I think that a lot of people can really relate to. It's something that Denise and I both have personal experiences with. Um, And I think that it's something that like a lot of people that have have issues with alcohol or different substance sorry different substance use experience and that is disordered eating and the link with addiction yeah i think it's it's not something that people talk about like happening together or is i guess the technical term is comorbidity Mm -hmm. but it's something like in my own personal experience that you know they always kind of went hand in hand, disordered eating and substance yeah. substance abuse or use. And I think all the way back for me from when I was a teenager. So for people that are not maybe familiar with what disordered eating means or what that looks like, are you able to kind of break it down for us? Yeah, I guess I can give my opinion. And I think part of it will lie in the fact that I don't always agree with labels. And one of the reasons that I want to lean towards, you know, the words disordered eating versus an eating disorder is because an eating disorder is going to be something that, you know, follows the specific criteria in terms of diagnostics in the DSM manual, where I think a lot of people at least for me and my experience, may eat in disordered ways that cause a lot of mental stress um, and are, are definitely not healthy, but may swing from 
restriction to binging to purging or may purge in other ways and don't fall into those like really traditional categories of you know anorexia bulimia Mm -hmm. um that a lot of us are are really really aware of so i personally think disordered eating is defined as you know i think extreme focus and i want to almost say obsessive tendencies in terms of Food, So whether that goes to tracking macros or counting calories um, and applying that to exercise and kind of just that mathematical component, it could have to do with extreme amounts of restriction. It could have to do with binging. It could have all of those things mixed into one. Um, and I think it's it's also just like a complete obsession and thinking about eating and how much you're um, expending. At least that's that's what it means for me. What's your opinion of it? Yeah, I think that pretty much hits like the nail on the head. Um, It really is, I think, that place before what would be classified as an eating disorder. It doesn't have that same strong label and that like that same, I think, psychological like characteristic. Yeah, exactly. Where like maybe you are a little bit more aware that you are doing these things, but Mm -hmm. still unable to stop. So like you said, like really restricting, but then binging right after and like beating yourself up about it that way. And I think I was going to say that that beating yourself up part. And I think once you have also like self-worth or these really strong opinions over what's good and what's bad instead of things just being food, Mm -hmm. I think that really plays into disordered eating for me as well, because there is this like... I'm a bad person component that comes up in my self-criticism or uh, in my thought patterns um, and foods are very black and white. Like this is good. This is bad. It has to be like this. And it's like, it isn't so, you know, extreme one way or the other. It's it's just food. Um, So I think for me, there is like a really, there's a lot of weight on um, the mental component and this like good versus bad behavior of making one choice um, versus versus another. Yeah. And even though it kind of is, it's almost like having an extreme control over yourself, but mm-hmm. in, not in a positive way where like mm-hmm. you're in touch with your decisions and your intentions behind them. Like you're almost like controlling and manipul- manipulating yourself into eating these ways. And like, oh, I can't have that today because I had it yesterday. So now that means I can't have any of these XYZ things today. You like really restrict that way. Yeah, I agree. And I think that control mechanism um, really plays into into a lot of it for me. And I think that from what I understand is that if you grew up, like a lot of people that grew up in in very strict or unpredictable households where maybe a caregiver's behavior was just unpredictable, um, a a lot of children that grow up in those environments will exert control uh, through disordered eating patterns because they feel as though their environment, their home environment is out of control and Mm -hmm. and their body or their food choices is kind of like almost like a statement or or like a rebellion um, that, that that's that one piece that they have in control. And it's almost like it creates this false sense of psychological safety. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that, like in that 
really crucial adolescent development phase mm. is when a lot of these habits come to surface as well as substance abuse. Like they sort of go hand in hand in your teenage years where you're really like, you don't usually have a lot of control over any aspect of your life. You don't choose what school you go to in most cases. The only thing you really have that is yours is kind of what you are putting into your body. Yeah. Yeah, and like the numbers of overlap are 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 quite high. Um, you know, I think part of the challenge in getting you know really clear statistics on, you know, what is the percentage of comorbidity between you know let's say disordered eating or eating disorders and and substance use is that there is a a lack of clarity on how those things are defined. Mm-hmm. Whether you know it's it's through official medical diagnostics or you know, it's a little bit more on a spectrum, but it, it also has to do with the, the difficulty of, of tracking these types of behaviors, right? Because not everyone's disclosing it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like, is it just substances like alcohol and drugs or, you know, are, is it going to be inclusive of, inclusive of people that may abuse laxatives as a substance, which would be a very disordered, um, eating type behavior or even diet pills. Um, and I know for myself, when I was a teenager, um, I feel like my disordered eating started first, um, likely because that's what was accessible to me. I mm-hmm. had control over that. I wanted to change my body. And so, you know, like, you know, I didn't have to stand outside of a liquor store and ask somebody to buy something for me. Like I could just choose not to eat. Yeah. Um, so I think for me that that's kind of what showed up first. But then once I became aware that I could be using, um, you know, drugs that were like speedy um, to be restricting my appetite in in a very extreme way. It was like a double whammy. Yeah, methamphetamines um, and using MDMA and I wouldn't eat for like 24 hours straight. No problem. Like couldn't even put food in my mouth. Then I was like, wow, like I can use these things to A, party and I feel like I'm on top of the world and then B, I'm not going to eat any food. So like that was, you know, that was a a really attractive quality of, of drug use for me when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I think that overall, like what you said, like there is such a strong link between eating disorders or disordered eating and just addiction in general, Mm -hmm. like just that same kind of um, drive to do something repeatedly. For me, like looking back and reflecting, I feel like my relationship with disordered eating definitely started when I was in high school as well. Um, And I started modeling. It was something that I really wanted, but I'm just naturally a curvy person. So there was a lot of pressure on me, like through the agency that I was with to change the way that my body looked. And like, I wanted that as well because I wanted to be successful. I wanted to feel like I was good enough. Um, So I really did start dieting and exercising and controlling what I was eating to try and lose weight. And I remember going in and actually having her measure my hips at one point and tell me when I was getting closer to like the ideal hip dimensions that I was really starting to get like that beautiful, it was almost like a concave, like mark on my butt cheek where it actually was like indented in because like I had lost so much weight oh but goodness. I was getting like positive feedback for yeah. that and I'll always remember that and then after that is when I started um experimenting with drugs and alcohol as well and 
yeah, I don't even remember what I ate for food in high school. Like, I remember eating so much candy. I would have a couple classic like meals that I would make after school, but I just remember doing drugs. Like, I feel like the food, <laughs> the food was not even like really a thought for me. And as like, like a, something that I would get pleasure from or like enjoyment, like I was eating to survive and to lose weight and to like hit my goals. And then once I started doing drugs, like who needs food? Yeah. I've got ecstasy here. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. I think that I was probably the same. Like food for me was like the absolute enemy. I remember my mom like for, I remember like blacking out a few times because I hadn't eaten in so long, but I remember my mom like trying to force me to eat half a bagel or she wouldn't drive me to my friend's house. And that would literally be all that would sustain me for the entire day. For some reason, I also was only eating bread for a little while. Like that was my only food. I was like feeling like was okay to <laughs> carbs, eat. straight carbs, just, just bagels, <laughs> just straight bagels, half bagels at a time because a full bagel I thought was too much. But I had all kinds of weird rules. And yeah, I think one of the things that I thought was like really interesting was that people who tend to be a little bit more bulimic in their choices. And I don't want to just use the label bulimia because I think that like the standard bulimia type behavior is this like binge quality and then purging. Mm. And from my experience, like you can binge on alcohol and then purged your food or you can binge on alcohol and you can purge through doing a huge workout the next day or you might binge on food and then your purge may be throwing out everything in your fridge that you've deemed as like a bad food so it doesn't always have to be this traditional physical purge that we always see kind of depicted in the movies or you think of traditionally I think that you can have crossover from let's say alcohol and drugs on this cycle of binge for me it was binge purge restrict binge purge restrict and that cycle when I was binging on one thing let's say it was alcohol like restriction and then purging would be showing up in other areas so for me let's say I binged on alcohol I would probably uh, feel guilty. I would be restricting on food and then I would be purging usually by either throwing shit out and, and my, or doing like crazy exercising to try and compensate for like the calorie and trying to sweat it mm-hmm. out kind of thing that would be going on. I don't want to say that I've never traditionally purged because I for sure went through phases where I did. Yeah. But there was almost like this cycle that would swing that would cross over Um, not just with disordered food and eating behaviors, but would overlap into the substances, but would still be what would be considered traditionally an eating disorder cycle. That is such a good point, honestly, just like the purging of your cupboards. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I have probably done a thousand times. I still do it now, yeah. It is, it's such a cycle Mm -hmm. of like, just not limiting yourself, eating what you want, at least when I was drinking, drinking, binging, eating McDonald's, like, throwing it all out. And then, yeah, and then the next day being like, fuck, like, I really, I'm going to start Monday. I'm going to do this diet. Yeah. I'm going to straighten up and then throw out all the shit that I have in my cupboards just to buy it again in a couple weeks. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think what's really interesting about that is that a few things. One is that bulimia apparently is is much more episodic in nature, like what we're talking about. Like there are always mm. like these stages, and it's kind of like very episodic instead of just like controlled restriction throughout. Um, and there is, um, I guess, indications that 
people that are kind of into that episodic, more bulimic behavior have an increased impulsivity trait. And I thought that was really interesting because I do feel like I am very impulsive, especially when I'm into these types of behaviors. Like I'm making decisions in the moment, for the moment, only not considering later. And I think that is very impulsive. So yeah. I really related um, to that like episodic impulsive nature of the overlap. I relate to that a hundred percent. And I feel like I am impulsive in all aspects of mm. my life. Like from shopping to piercings to like, I've gotten a tattoo on like a second date with somebody <laughs> that like I barely knew. Not matching. I have my own tattoo. He didn't get anything. But it was like, we just walked in off the street and I was like, yeah, I'll take a tattoo today. Thank you. (laughs) So it's just like a hundred percent. I feel like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's like really, you know, important to consider when you start to think about that is like, is it actually the eating disorder or the substances? Because what seems to be very common for me is like, this the the cycle the patterns of the cycle and it's not necessarily this commitment to binging on alcohol or ice cream or whatever it's like i will binge on shopping i'll binge on ice cream i'll binge on this i will restrict food i will restrict people um you know and i can purge all these different items as well it's tying in all the replacement addictions as well exactly like it's like that hungry ghost thing that come that we've talked about a few times um that gabor mate talks about is like it's actually not about the food i don't think it's about the substance it's about you like regulating your internal emotional state and not having a better skill set and like riding this cycle or Mm -hmm. each of these behaviors Like you do this one, you get a pleasure and then you go back down and then it's like, you need to get out of that down feeling. So then you, you know, you do the next thing. And so what I think is really interesting is that, you know, is the issue that, you know, having an eating disorder makes you more predisposed to substance use because there's like a psychological patterning that you're trying to fill the needs is like, how does one lead lead to the other? Are you just using them both as a coping mechanism exactly. for past traumas, stress, like all the things that you have going on, which I think is a hundred percent what I do. Yeah. And because like when I was younger, like I did see a therapist a little bit, but I don't feel like it was really a, like an open learning experience for me. So I didn't learn those skills when I was like in high school experiencing these things and these traumas for the first time. So now in my early thirties, when I'm finally like developing the proper coping mechanisms, I still have all this old information that I used to get through it Mm -hmm. when I was in my teens that now it's like trying to find a space between the healthy coping, coping mechanisms and the not so healthy ones. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, if, if you like, it's hard to have the awareness or the clear memory of, of how many times you maybe binge ate when you were a kid to avoid your feelings because that was like what was accessible to you. But you don't really think of it that way because at that age, you're probably not trying to or... Uh, you know what? I can remember trying to want to alter my body like as far back as grade six, but even younger than that, I'm sure I was using food as a comfort mm-hmm. in, in a disordered kind of way, like not listening to my body cues if we're really going to, yeah. you know, get granular about it. Um, but yeah. 
it is it is interesting the the amount of overlap between the two yeah and it really like does come back i think to like those formative years like in your teens like being a teenager is fucking brutal i can't even imagine being a teenager now and like even just like with social media like why even back then were we trying to change what our bodies looked like like where did we learn that we were not good enough as we were yeah, and I think obviously I can only imagine that now it would be so much tougher for teenagers because there is just so much unrealistic expectations put out there on social media mm-hmm. and like, you know, so many filters um, that what people see, whether you're aware of wanting to attain that or not, I do think that there is this like subconscious drive, yeah. like in a sense of belonging and, and wanting to be desirable. That is like innate. It's innate within our DNA um, as a survival sense that affects you, um, whether you're aware of it or not. Yeah, so I think one of the things that you know, I was not expecting when, um, earlier this year I fully removed alcohol was how many disordered eating or like symptoms, uh, were going to come up for me, like how much I was going to deal with body dysmorphia and honestly, truly eating disorder symptoms, like being symptomatic, you know, those are, are things that, you know, I went for professional treatment for like about 10 years ago and, honestly hadn't really been struggling with like so much and thought kind of like that chapter or that aspect of my life was like over and done with. Um, I don't know, Keisha, do you, do you feel like, you know, you experienced disordered eating or some symptoms like that as you've, you know, since you've removed alcohol? Yeah. Not only since I have removed alcohol, but like, I think from my entire life, like that diet culture, working out, sacrificing what I'm eating. But since I have removed alcohol, um, for these last few months, a hundred percent, I've really noticed myself, um, binging. So not so much the binge and restrict, it's just strictly binging. And that's like coming in sugar, like Uber eats. I'm getting pizzas, pastas. It's kind of like a whatever you want situation. And I'm letting myself have all these things because I'm telling myself that it is keeping me sober from alcohol. Mm. But again, like at what, at what price is that coming at? So I really have noticed, um, that I'm not satisfied with what I'm eating. Like from a sugar perspective, it is too much. And I'm noticing the changes in my body, which then make me, I feel like kind of like question like my self-worth. Like if this is what my Mm -hmm. body looks like from the exterior, like am I love, like just the extremes. Am I lovable? Who's going to love me looking like this? Um, So I, but I think the first step is really just like kind of being aware that that is what I'm feeling and trying to make better choices, not buying those things at the grocery store, but I think it really is like once you get into the habit and the mentality of that binge restrict, whatever it is, it becomes a lifelong journey. I think just like it is with substance use, it doesn't just go away because you want to change your mind about it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that one of the tricky things, and this is, you know, something that I remember speaking about when I was in treatment for an eating disorder is just that you can have a full and successful life removing substances like alcohol or you know drugs but you you have to come to peace with food you unfortunately cannot just be like today or for the rest of my life I will be removing food like you need (laughs) to have food and so um it's one of those relationships that 
you are actually forced to come to peace with and learn to accept and heal because you honestly have no other choice because it is a daily part of your life. It's so hard, especially because I know how I feel when I eat certain things. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not lactose intolerant, but I am sensitive to things like dairy. Yet I will get a pizza once a week and then feel bloated and feel like shit. It's the impulsivity gene, it's not you. And it's like, I know that I know exactly how I'm going to feel after it. Why can't I just stop? Get something else. Like, it could be something equally delicious, but I'm choosing these things that I know don't make me feel good repeatedly. I think it's like that, it's that fill though, because like I'm also doing the same thing and I'm confirming that even though I'm not lactose intolerant, that nobody feels good after they overeat pizza. Not one person. Everyone feels like a blowfish. A blowfish. <laughs> I just think of those like puffer fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, literally yeah. what I feel like. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm for sure doing the same. Like, and it's almost like there's like a lack of an awareness that I, that there's like this feeling of emptiness or whatever it is, like, cause I still don't know exactly that I'm trying to fill with food. And because I've removed alcohol, like I will, I'm like eating to the point where I'm uncomfortable, where I don't feel like that was coming up for me consistently. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. I think that, and, and I want to be clear here, there's a difference between you know, having Christmas dinner with your family and overindulging and eating too much or versus like sitting at home by yourself and then like eating Gorging to discomfort. Yourself. Yeah, on a, on a regular basis because I think those are very, two different um, kind of experiences. One where you're like almost actively making a choice to cause harm because I do think, you know, when you eat continually to this point of physical discomfort, discomfort you're like, there is a harm element um, to yeah. to your behavior, at least that that's how I feel about it afterwards. I'm like, why am I like physically harming myself right now? And like, because I keep eating and I'm not feeling satisfied. Yeah, the hungry, hungry ghost. I know, <laughs> the damn hungry ghost. Um, yeah, and I think we talked a little bit about like, yeah, I think like my my relationship with food has become a really big challenge for me uh, over the past few months as I've been moderating and like removed um, alcohol. It's ongoing. Like, that's my question is, when does it end? When does it just get to be easy? <laughs> Where is the destination? <laughs> that's my main question is, when does the easy breezy living come? You know, I, you know what's what, I, what I find is, is really challenging is like, there's almost like two aspects of self that I experienced there is like this uh, aspect of Denise that is like it should be really easy to follow exactly what you need to eat and make all of these choices because like when you zoom out and you look at it from like a logical and analytical perspective it's like no well I know that doesn't make me feel good and I should be doing Mm -hmm. this it seems like so easy to be able to execute and and that's also the part of me that is critical when I'm not able to follow through But there is, like, this other part of me that clearly still wants to eat the pizza because it's delicious and there's, like, um, almost, like, a joy and enjoyment element It's, like, that dopamine. Yeah. It's, like, that same pleasure sensation. Yeah. And I feel like those are almost those, like, those extremes, the black and white extremes that we talked about before of, like, you know, I'm either not eating the pizza or I'm eating the whole pizza. Like, there's no, like, gray area in the middle. And I think... I think, honestly, the gray area in the middle is the destination. It's a place of, 
less attachment, less rigidity, and a lot of compassion. I think that honestly is the destination. I don't, what I want, what, what my ego wants is like the destination to be this place where I follow this perfect diet and have this perfect body. And that is, you know, just a really unrealistic expectation. Like, is that, like, is so, that going to so bring you happiness can, and clarity? Like, But you get so tricked into thinking that. I like, know. it's like, oh, I'm going to be so desirable. And then I'm going to have, like, I'm going to be happy. And, you mm-hmm. know, like, I'm going to have so much love and acceptance and, like, all of these things. But what you need to be able, what what I think your mind or that, per, like, that part of you that thinks it should be so easy doesn't understand is that what it takes in order to do that maybe steals or chips away at your soul and a little bit of happiness in yeah. order to do it. You know, otherwise everyone would be fucking doing it. Um so my question is is like given the amount of co-occurring eating disorder or disordered eating and substance abuse, do you have any thoughts on treatment or managing both in in early sobriety if i did i wouldn't be here (laughs) well that was honest (laughs) honestly like all i can say is like follow your intention like for me when i or your intuition sorry like for me like i i feel like i do have that internal gut instinct when i am making these food choices or like when i was drinking like i knew in the moment that it wasn't the right choice and i'm not gonna feel good So I truly need to like lean into that and just trust myself. And like, maybe it is going to be really hard in that moment, but over time making hard decisions, those decisions aren't going to be so hard anymore. Mm. But that's really the only advice I have is to like follow your gut and maybe sit down and like see like as much as it may be triggering to like keep something like a food journal, but just take note of what you're ingesting and how it's making you feel and how do you want to feel in your body? Like, do you want to feel bloated and have acne or do you want to wake up and feel fresh and rested and have great bowel movements? Like, <laughs> what's the goal? How's your poop? Yeah. A, poop is a big factor. <laughs> I think like for me, one of the things that I, I find really frustrating is the lack of like these holistic uh, treatment options that are that are really out there for people, and you know I I think there's not enough treatment overlap between the two, and I know that people cannot be treated for an eating disorder when they're actively using substances. Um, I mean I think that that makes sense because obviously it's like very difficult to get into talk therapy or like into cognitive patterns if you're not clear and you know literally Mm -hmm. fucked up all the time but what I find challenging is that often treatment is kind of pigeonholed in a lot of traditional treatment centers into either substance you know use or or eating disorders like I know some therapists will maybe kind of talk to and do both but if you're somebody who needs something that's um, a little bit more intensive than that whether it's inpatient or outpatient um, I think it's really difficult to find treatment that that actually deals with both kind of together. Yeah, and to be honest, like that's not ever something that I've explored um, in terms of like treatment options. Honestly, for either like disordered eating or for substance use, but I do think that that makes sense that 
the treatment is sort of specialized in one department, but I think that there is such a big opportunity for a more holistic approach to everything because the roots of these actions are probably the same. Yeah, and I think I was really, really blessed when I was in treatment um, for disordered eating that the therapist and center that I was at and I did outpatient um, was their values were really about that it wasn't about the food. Um, It was really kind of tying back into that hungry ghost of like what, you know, what is it that you're trying to fill? And we didn't really dive deep into my substance use because I think that the rationale there was just like it it, it's the same root issue um and I really firmly believe that and I I do I do too that that is like really carried through into a lot of treatment programs and I unfortunately don't think from what I understand is that it is and in my opinion is that it, it really should be because I think that those root issues are are likely the same for both of those Um, co-occurring behaviors. And I think that where we are maybe starting to see a little bit more of the overlap is in the more non-traditional treatment options Mm -hmm. like coaches, like personal coaches versus actually seeing a psychologist or a doctor. Yeah. Uh, Like our, I don't know if you listened last week to our episode, but we had a really great conversation with uh, Nicole Worth. She is the founder of Wildly Alive and she is also a coach um, and talks about her own struggles with addiction and disordered eating, body image. And for her as well, um, the root causes were the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and you know, I think disordered eating behavior becomes in and of itself its own addiction. Like if you're not comfortable in your life, like just that obsession of that thing to be totally sucked into every single day so that you don't have to be present in your life and just deal with the fear of everyday living because there are a lot of things that feel uncomfortable whether that's you know speaking out in class or starting a new job or maybe even looking for a new job or an exam you have Mm -hmm. like coming up or things like that that people get so caught up in these like food and body and health addictions that are disordered eating behaviors as well and it's because at the end of the day like all day All day, somebody might be going through these stressors, and then when they're winding down at the end of the day, they sit on their couch by themselves, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. and get on social media, and all you're seeing is these idealized bodies and lives of other people. Yeah, and if I change that about myself, then I'll be more like them. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is is, is subconscious. But I think, yeah, all of these things are just our ways of taking ourselves out of our bodies and taking ourselves out of the discomfort of being present. And the root of those can be, you know, I think different from person to person. Um, But I think, you know, some of the things that really drive us towards that are just, as you said, social norms, social media, peer pressure, maybe underlying depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then I think the big thing is like trauma, abuse, neglect, and unmet emotional needs in the home when when you were a child growing up. And those don't have to be these big, huge events. You know, it, it can just be a small 
event, a conversation that happened. So even just something as little as your parents getting divorced. Yeah. I mean, I think it can even be like as small as you being a child and like drawing a picture and you not getting the praise from it that you hope to get as a kid, because it's not about the event. It's about how you perceived that event from a nervous system level as a child will really predetermine how you like store that event in your body and I think how it affects you moving forward into adulthood. It's not to say that, you know, your parents should have been paying better attention. It's more just about how you're processing things um, when you're a child. Anyway, I think we touched on a lot of things here today and um, know that, you know, if you are in, in early sobriety, um, and you are having a lot of surfacing issues around food, like you are certainly not alone and you are very much uh, the norm. And, um, you know, it's something obviously that both Keisha and I can can really relate to you. I feel like we got another really great uh, experience of Dr. Denise this <laughs> week. Not a, not a doctor, but we call her Dr. Denise. So thank you for, so much for listening. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, um, you can listen to it now. And it really touches on a lot of the same topics. We'll see you next time. Bye. This is Keisha and Denise signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. See you next time.